Welcome to Lead Clinic. I'm your host, Dr. Peter Vitale. Today, we're joined with Jay Reaver from Lead Swami. Welcome to the podcast, Jay. Ah, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. And so, Jay, for those of uh, our viewers who don't know exactly what you do, could you give us a brief overview of your services and that you provide to insurance agents? Yeah, definitely. So, we've been in existence for about two years now. We've worked with almost 100 agents now, specializing in optimizing their marketing spend to help them improve their rate of return and just basically overhauling their processes in their office to, to maximize the efforts in doing that. And so what, you know, we're both former insurance agents as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the one thing that I always say about insurance agents, and, and I say this lovingly as one, is they're very good salespeople. And often, oftentimes they're very good mm-hmm. salespeople, but not really the ideal business person of exactly. measuring you know, return on investment of marketing dollars. You know, some agents I'll hear like you'll spend fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a month and uh-huh. really have no idea what sources are working or what's optimizing. And so what do you do when you come in and like you see an agency like that? What's your process to really refine the data and help them make better data driven decisions? Yeah, so it's it's multi-step process, right? We just don't come in and, and say, hey, this is working, this isn't working. We really have to monitor it over time, right? It's just not a switch. And so what we'll do is we'll come in and we'll organize their data. And that's basically all we're doing is we're taking the data that we're getting from the lead vendors and we're matching that up with their CRM systems that they hopefully are working in, and just one of them, hopefully not two. <laughs> um, and then a lot of them use a, a sales platform to record their sales. And so we're just marrying all that data together. So that takes a little bit to get done. And then we need to work on the processes to make sure that the agents that are taking the phone calls are, are one, answering the phone calls, but two, um, assigning it to their selves and their CRM and dispositioning it correctly. And once all that happens, then we're able to tell the exact campaign that is actually coming in and that their producers are, are talking to and hopefully converting. And so it's really about tracking the campaigns, figuring out what's working, and then just moving money in between those campaigns. And then hopefully finding more campaigns and publishers and vendors like yourself that uh, can help uh, increase the volume. Right. And so, you know, it's as we're recording this, it's, it's getting late in the year, right? And a lot of folks are going to be, you know, trying to get to bonus or get to a certain status if they're an all-state agency. And, you know, as we go through that, you know, what's the best advice you can give folks who are really, you know, trying to maximize the next 30 days-ish or, you know, even maximizing the last, let's just say, quarter of the year? What's the best advice you have for them in doing that and yeah. optimizing their marketing dollars? Yeah, well, you got to know what's working right now. And once it, once you know what's working, you just got to pour gasoline on it at that point, right? And I've had the, a lot of those conversations in the last month. But more importantly is, hey, how do we not get into this position next year as well? And that starts also, to, you know, in this 30 days. So ramp up 
but then commit to yourself to continue to do that in January, February, and March. Uh, this is the worst time to try to be doing this because everybody else is doing it. And so the lead spend goes up and, and you want filtered leads and everyone else is paying for filtered leads. So it's a kind of a, it's a bad cycle that we get in. And so a lot of the times with the clients that I work with is just, we're working to avoid this situation the entire um, the entire year. And it's funny, the conversations that I'm having now compared to some of the conversations I'm having with the people that have already put in the work, it's just like, I'm like, remember, this is, it's supposed to be slow. Remember yeah. that? Yep. We want it to be slow in November and December. And mm-hmm. so there's just two different situations going on out there right now. And so a lot of the agents you work with, you're working with a lot of Allstate agents today, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the agents that you're working with really would you say before you started working with them, they had a good idea of what vendors were performing well and what vendors weren't, or most had no idea? Most have no idea what's going on. Now, they have a ballpark, and usually the rough math that they do is, hey, how much premium did I write and how much did I spend? And if that's around 4 to $5, I'm good to go. So, mm-hmm. you know, for every dollar that they spend, they're getting 4 to $5 back in premium. And that's my baseline too, especially with an Allstate agent, right? When they're getting variable comp, um, that is a realistic rate of return to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't include the expenses in there or anything like that of of, of employees, mm-hmm. but I think at a five dollar return rate, um, you're able to in variable comp, you should be able to pay your commissions and the lead cost altogether and break even. And really, too, right, you know, as I've talked to insurance agents, some of them are like, okay, well, what's it? What's a good acquisition cost, you know? And I know that that varies widely, you know, state to state. Some states have, yeah. you know, really high We've premium, yeah. right? But what would you, you know, what's your general advice on, you know, a nationwide average, you know, cost per acquisition, cost per household sale? Yeah, I definitely state specific. Um, but, you know, I, I think around... Th- Three three fifty is probably a good starting point. My ultimate goal and what I usually um, have written out and kind of tracked to in my system is two hundred and fifty dollars cost per household. Mm-hmm. Right? I call it cost per sale because we're selling that one lead. However many policies we get out of it, that's either sales or we need to work on multi-vehicle homeowners and stuff like that. But that's really, I think three three fifty is a fair dollar amount, especially with variable comp right now. And what advice do you give your clients on working with different lead vendors or how many lead vendors? You know, I always tell my clients, I don't want to be the only vendor they work with. Um, you know, I'm competitive. I want competition. Um, and I want to be at the high end of, of their return on marketing dollars. Yeah. But what's your, what's your general advice for folks on how many different lead vendors they should be using or stuff like that? Different for all, all sizes, right? But if you're spending five to $7,500 a month, you're okay probably with one lead vendor, right? Mm-hmm. Because then you can explore different campaigns inside each lead vendor and get a good mix. Um, but once you start getting above that dollar amount, I think once you have one good lead vendor down, then you need to bring on a second one. Um, and then with that second one, you need to find the products and the, the verticals that are working for that lead vendor and then scale up from there, depending on how much volume each lead vendor can get you. But like after you get out above that 7,500, you should diversify, mm-hmm. which isn't my favorite word yeah. word in the lead um, universe, but at least two above 7,500. But if you're getting into the 30, 40, $50,000 range, 
you need a host. You probably need seven to eight lead mm-hmm. vendors. And so that that becomes the issue, right? And that's where a lot of people find value in my services is that's um, I help organize that and stack rank them for them. And how do you find the performance of vendors over time? Fairly consistent, fairly inconsistent? I would say inconsistent, right? Um, and that's why it's good to have multiple different vendors. I was just on the phone with uh, one today, uh, with a client today, and one vendor was underperforming. And so we just switched money into a vendor that it was working, right? We, we didn't shut that vendor off, mm-hmm. but we just said, hey, look, all these campaigns that aren't performing where we want them to perform, we're going to cut off that uh, marketing dollar and move it over to the other vendor. You know, one of the things that at Lead Clinic we do differently, right, is we identify publisher source and subsource to our clients. And, and most of our competition, I don't think any of them actually do, but most certainly do not. And we like to measure that because, you know, we want to give our clients yeah. more of what's working for them. And I think that, you know, as we review those data points with you, we see that some campaigns work really well nationwide and some campaigns that work really yeah. well nationwide don't work well in one particular state. And, you know, I think that measuring performance is critical and running this agency like, you know, an actual business, yeah. like, you know, return on marketing dollars is really important. But do you see that across different vendors with your different clients perform really differently in different states or even in the same state? Yeah. So. That's the most common question I get, right? Hey, what vendor should I use and, and what should I do? You know, yeah. and what, what product should I buy? Like, I'm, that's like the wrong question to ask. It is, it's what everybody asks, but it is agency specific with inside the state, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I have my favorite vendors and mm-hmm. I, you know, I have favorite publishers with mm-hmm. you. I have favorite products with Everquote and mm-hmm. Smart Financial and, and all the other ones, right? It, because I see those perform consistently across the country. But that doesn't mean that the agency right next door to you uh, is going to perform the exact same way in one product and the other. Especially when we're looking at lead clinic publishers, it's it's unbelievable from state to state, just the publisher and the source specific that we have just a wide range of close rates, return rates. Um, and so really and truly, I mean, I, I, and we've really started to do some of that work where we're like, mm-hmm. okay, this group of publishers and sources is performing better than the others. Should we, what do we do with these? How do you source them? And, and then how does the bidding go and stuff like that? But that's just the start. And then once you get enough data, then we can start getting into the weeds and saying, yeah, this one's performing better. Let's turn down this one. And that's what I tell everybody if I was to build a lead company and I would do it exactly the way that you're doing it now and just providing that transparency between the sources and being able to pick and choose what you want and not what they want to give us, right? Exactly. And I think like, right, the message of transparency that I try and preach, right, is because, you know, I just felt like I was in the dark with lead mine like forever. And I feel that most of my competitors do that in some instances because it's difficult to change in a large enterprise, but in some instances because it's a more profitable approach for them to be able to shift whatever they want into the funnel at any given time. And, and you, you know, that's why I, I, I would suggest that you see these ebbs and flows of quality from vendor to vendor. You know, one thing that I've noticed is there's a lot of a lot of the big companies, right, are buying and selling to each other on a very consistent basis. Yeah. So it becomes almost impossible to track just by figuring out what lead vendor you're working with. And that's why I think the data is inconsistent. But 
you know, besides transparency, besides, you know, relationships with lead vendors, I think is critical. Mm -hmm. I think it was critical any time that, you know, when I was a big lead buyer, I think that my vendor relationship was were, were important yeah. and you feel the same way or how do you? Definitely. Like, I'll say this, we can't be reliant on them though either as mm -hmm. agents, right? And and when I, it, we got to have good relationships with them, but we have to hold them accountable, right? Mm -hmm. and, and show them and, and present to them the data that we're seeing inside the agency. And then to be good partners, we have to look at ourselves too, right? Mm -hmm. And so then we should be able to go back and be like, hey, are we making enough dials? Are we answering the phone enough? Are we talking on the phone long enough? And if all those are yes, 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 then we need to have a good relationship to be like, hey, look, this isn't working. Mm -hmm. And saying, this is what's working. Can you provide us something? Or is there a filter set that we can do that, that works with that you have, right, as a, as a lead provider that would hopefully help the situation, right? And, and if, as long as you have that consistent communication with your lead vendor, mm -hmm. and that's, that's the important part is having consistent uh, communication with them, it usually doesn't go sideways for too long, right? We can catch it after two or three weeks, and I think that's a quick catch. And then we regroup and then, you know, try to get it back on back in line with where it was supposed to be. But you got to have consistent communication. I mean, and some lead companies are better at, yeah. than, than others, right? Some some have step monthly meetings. Some you never talk to a lead, yeah. lead person. And if, if you talk to an account executive, you might know more than they do. Yeah. So, and that's the problem that I've, I've found. So that's, yeah, that's a big problem. <laughs> yeah. That's a big problem. You know, I always try and hire folks that have an understanding of the insurance industry, like from an agency's perspective, right? Um, most of the folks that, you know, we have like have worked in an agency before. And I think that's yeah. helpful because they understand, right? They've dialed out yeah. on an internet lead before and they know what to expect. A lot of folks ask me and I'm, I give them my honest advice, but like, I'm a little bit removed from this now, but like, what's a proper, like, like what call cadence are we recommending? Like how many touch points, you know, I always come at this and I look at it from like the consumer's perspective and like, we want to be good stewards of like customer data and yeah. not like, you know, abuse it and not call them a million times on day one, but what's reasonable and, you know, what do you suggest to your clients generally? Well, I've, I've come up with a hard and fast rule. If you're taking mm -hmm. a lead, you should expect to dial on average 10 times on that on mm -hmm. that lead. So if you're buying 20 leads a day, you need to be producing at least 200 outbound dials in your agency. And then for every dial or every lead that you buy on top of that, you need to add in 10. And I'm not saying you're going to call that lead 10 times in the first day. Mm -hmm. I want you to call that lead on average 10 or on an average lead, we want to dial it 10 times within the first three weeks, okay. right? Now, that's the average that I see, and it's really correlated with the close or the quote percentage. Okay. Um, and so that's why the reason that, that we look at it that way, the successful branches, or excuse me, the high performing branches, uh, that number's north of like 15. Okay. So for each lead that they get, they're dialing at least 15 times on it. In the first three weeks. In the first three weeks. Okay. So that's not a. That's not a five time a day, every day. No. Yeah. And, and so if you break that down, it looks more like you're going to call it right when you get it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then you should probably send an email. And if you can text, you should send a text. Mm -hmm. um, but then you should call that lead back in 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. 
and then get it on a cadence of every two hours or three hours from there mm-hmm. all the way through day seven, maybe go down to day, uh, four hours after that mm-hmm. through day 21. Mm-hmm. We found, um, though, after really after 30 days, really even truly after 21 days, there's just not much happening. Yeah. Um, and if you don't have the manpower and the staff to be dialing, it's much better to add a dial in the beginning than mm-hmm. than dial a twenty two to old lead. Yeah, and I think like right part of today's issue is there's a lot of people buying age data out there, and so that really like at day maybe twenty one, maybe at day thirty, with some publishers are selling that as age data, and then you're getting a whole new group of people yeah. reaching out to that consumer. It really creates a bad consumer experience in my mind. You know, the, there's been a lot of news around the Federal Communications Commission and their second notice uh, and notice of proposed rulemaking yep. about changes. And with requiring one-to-one consent, I think the age data problem goes away because you yeah, can no longer sell it as yep. age data. So, you know, we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording, you know, and, and kind of what my thoughts on that whole thing is going to be lead cost is going to go up. Yeah. But lead quality is also going to go up, we would anticipate. And we have some custom Google campaigns that uh, we work with on some of our clients together. And we see leads, $20 leads, $30 leads, up to today, $44 leads, right? And what's your position on that high price point? Because in my opinion, agents have been trained to go to the real, you know, yeah. the this, this southernmost point yeah. of lead price and think that's a bargain, right? And, yeah. and your philosophy and mine is different. I'm a quality buyer and everything, but you're a data guy and you've seen the data yeah. work. So tell us about it a little bit. Yeah. So look, this is, I, I'll probably go on a rant here yeah. because this is kind of one of my favorite things to talk about right now. And it is, uh, us as agents, we've caused a lot of these problems, right? Yeah. And I used to point a lot of my frustration at lead providers, Quote Wizard, EverQuote, all these other big house ones. But as I've gone up through this in the last two years and have done more and more and, and I've been around the industry a lot more, it's the publishers that are selling multiple mm-hmm. to multiple aggregators mm-hmm. that who also are probably selling to multiple aggregators. Mm-hmm. And so it starts at the top. And then and then we as agents have said, oh, no, 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 we want more for cheaper, more mm-hmm. for cheaper, more for cheaper. And so everybody up along in the food chain has said, okay, let's do more for cheaper, right? Yep. And, and so, so here we are. Um, and so now we are happy to get a 2.5% close rate, if, if that, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like 25 on an internet data lead right now is probably great. Mm-hmm. We've come to accustom to get the price down low enough where a 1.5% close rate will turn a decent you know, rate of return for us. That's crazy. It mm-hmm. takes a lot of people. It, talk, it takes a lot of dials. So 1.5%, you know, and, and so you got to buy, buy 200 leads to get three, three sales. Yeah. That's, from my calculation, it should be at least 2,000 dials, right? Yeah. And then you start talking about all these dials that are going out. And so it's just a crazy, crazy industry that we're in right now that we think that's acceptable. And so what we've seen, especially with with some of those Google publishers right now is, um, and one of my guiding philosophies, and I'll back, back up there, is like, I don't want to talk about price. I want to talk about cost per sale. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, at the end of the day, everything else will work out, mm-hmm. okay? And so I would much rather... With this, with these Google partners that we have that are, are doing these these campaigns that are higher dollar amount, these are active intent customers that have gone in and said insurance quotes, and then we've 
they've appeared and their banner has appeared and they click on that banner and then they fill out that form. That's a highly intent customer. You can't get that Google click less than what, 12 or $15? So how do you expect, what do you think we're buying at $6 and Mm -hmm. $5? We're not buying that. No. So um, if we go in it with the understanding that everybody has to make money in the food chain, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, they're getting a click for, let's just call it $15. Well, not everybody that clicks fills out the form. Yep. So if they can at least get a $50 conversion or a 50% conversion rate, it's going to, it takes them thirty dollars, yep. right? And so they're not going to sell it to us for six. Yeah, they're not going to sell it to us for thirty. No, they're going to sell it to us for like forty-five dollars. Yeah, shocker, right? Yep. Like, like yep. okay, so th- so that's the price. But with those leads that are coming from that that publisher, we're seeing on average seven. What I think it was like seven point one seven percent close rate all up. And if we remove Texas from that, we're like north of 10. Correct. Yeah. yeah. We're right at 10%. And a 10% close rate on a, on a, any lead right now, because I track a lot of leads, and we, we track about $1.4 million a month going through. A 15 to 20% close rate is, a quote to close rate, is, is pretty standard, mm-hmm. right? And so if we're closing 10% all up, yep. holy smokes, yep. right? And so that's why... With the, all the FCC action, I think what we've seen and what we're living in today gets cleaned up. And yes, we might have to pay $45 for an internet data lead, but you know what? The acquisition cost, the cost per sale is the same. And you know what? You have to hire probably three less people to do the amount of dials on it. And that's that's just what I was going to get into and just was my next question, which yeah. is like, I think a lot of people, you know, and this will be funny because if the client that I'm thinking of in my mind right now watches this, he'll know it's him. Um, and it's it's I hopefully it's re- a mutual one. So yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> and I happen to really like him. Nice guy. But like one of the things he told me in my initial call was, Peter, it's a volume game. It's just a volume game. It's just a volume game. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, yeah. What does that mean? And my thoughts on volume game is, yeah. You do everything you just said, and you do this at a huge volume at a cheap price, but there's the people cost and also the morale cost of those people, right? And that's – I don't think anyone's tracking that, and I don't think you track it today either, but buying a more expensive lead needing less people, right? Let's – I always look at it this way. Are we looking at, you know, your all-state metrics or your farmers or your state farm metrics or, you know, your progressive metrics, or are you looking at your P&L for your business? Right. And the people cost is expensive, right? It is. Or, or we go overseas and hire telemarketers yeah. that, uh, I don't know, could be complying with the FCC, could not be. Like, mm-hmm. We don't know what's going on over there. Yeah. And so then, so then you're, you're left with that if you don't want to hire the people. Yeah. So most of most of the agencies you work with, they're outbound calling their own. Most are using outside call centers. We're kind of split. I, I'm, a, I'm, we're pretty split. I, I'm, there's, there's a role for everything, right? Um, some offices don't want to manage, and that's one of those conversations that I have with a lot of my clients, just from right from the beginning. Is like, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. Do you want to manage to 150 dials or mm-hmm. 120 dials a day? Mm-hmm. 
But most people will say no, yeah, right? And then if you're saying no um, and you're not that good in the lead management system, then I'm saying like, mm, you should probably buy warm transfers. What does that mean, not very good in the lead management system? Um, <laughs> what that means to me is like most, some of our agents are in there, some of them are doing it this way, some of them are doing it that way. And if you're so not- So inconsistent process within the agency. For sure, yeah, um, definitely. And if you don't, if there's one thing, that is consistent with the top performers is they have consistent processes. Mm -hmm. That is exactly what they have, and that's what makes them successful. It's not the leads that they're buying. Um, it's not uh, how much money they're spending. It is they do the exact same thing on every single call, on every single lead. It happens in their agency, and they track it. Mm -hmm. And they uh, manage to it, mm -hmm. right? And so that's that's what I'm talking about with the CRMs. And, and so if you're not wanting to live and breathe in your CRM, right, uh, then your staff's probably not wanting to live mm -hmm. and breathe in their CRM. So you got to get comfortable with that. And then, um, it, but if you're not comfortable, then you need the easiest lead to track. Mm -hmm. And the easiest lead to me is to track is the phone rings. Mm -hmm. You pick up and you do a quote. Mm -hmm. 60 70% of the time, mm -hmm. right? Because not all warm transfers are quotes. That's where I start. And so I have, I think I'm, I'm about even split now on warm transfers to data quotes, right? So, and when I say a warm transfer, just a, a, a call coming into the office. You're paying per call. Paying per call. Per call. Yep. And so, so you're about 50-50 split yeah. between those. Mm -hmm. How did the metrics tie out in a in a cost way? Pretty similar cost per sales. You can't see a difference, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. And, and, and that's what I try to get across to agents. Yes, you are paying maybe sixty dollars for a warm transfer, mm -hmm. but on your volume game, when you're buying a whole bunch of leads for two dollars, guess what? You're Quote price is still the same. Yep. Um, if not, maybe you know it could be it could be lower, but your quote to close percentage is lower too, and so your cost per sale is the same. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what I that's what I see a lot. I and I see. Well, excuse me. I, there are benefits benefits to getting a home data lead as opposed to a home phone call. Really, that would be the one vertical that. Data leads are better than a warm transfer because right now on a warm transfer, there are so few of them inside the industry mm -hmm. that they go for a hundred to one hundred and fifty dollars okay. a call. So and that just, just gets economically, tough. it's just because the cost yeah, is so high. So high. There's no real difference on consumer intent Little, or anything. Yeah. No. Okay. You so know, it's just the price. It's just the price, and mm -hmm. that's just supply and demand. Supply and demand issue. Yeah. Interesting. Now, I know when like we first started working together really closely, we were big into home data leads, or at least that mm -hmm. was your position. I, yeah. I came around to it and I, we saw the numbers. I think we've seen it kind of level off between home and auto in recent months, right? Yep. We have. Um, that could be Texas, though, too. That could be Texas, too. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we can, you know, we have some large states with large data outliers. Um, but, you know, today, if I was a brand new client of yours and I was a lead buyer, you know, and I had consistent process and I was like, you know, what I would always say, like, is one of our dream clients, right? Yeah. What's your advice? Buy auto leads, buy home leads, buy both, buy... Depends what state you're in. But, okay. but I mean, for a majority of the states out there, you, you should buy, I would always skew higher to homes because mm -hmm. I think it's a better client, better retention. Um, you have an opportunity to get 
you know, two cars and hopefully a toy mm-hmm. along in there. So it's just a much better client all around for your agency. So I would skew higher there, but um, uh, there's good work and good volume with those mm-hmm. auto leads. And I think we found that. And there's some various filters, a homeowner filter, potentially mm-hmm. uh, stuff to, to help you multi-car filter, mm-hmm. right? All those types of things that will help you skew away from that mono line, single auto vehicle that look, that it, those people come and they go in your agency yeah. just as fast as they can fill out a web form mm-hmm. online. So you're saying buy both generally, skew a little higher towards homeowners. Now, in certain states, we've seen, we talk about minimums that buyers are buying. We've seen, I, I call it my point of demarcation, right? I, I, can't, I really think it's like 25 leads a day. I see at 25 leads a day, People are really doing well. Um, and if they're below, it's not that they're not doing well. It's just it's there's not we don't get to a statistically significant sample size to really determine are they doing well or not. You know, what's your position on I mean, certainly no one should buy more than they can handle. Yeah, I agree. Um, but like, what do you think kind of, you know, if someone says, hey, listen, I've got three dedicated salespeople. That's all they do all day sell. They do no service work. How many leads per day would you expect per producer for someone to buy? That's a question I get all the time. Yeah. I have no idea what the answer 100%. is. My first response back would be like, what type of CRM are you in? Mm-hmm. Or do you have a dialer? Mm-hmm. You know, so if you don't have a dialer, that number is 7 to 10. Okay. 7 to 10. Because and you just back into the numbers that we, the dials that we want to see. So if you don't have a dialer, you're going to ask somebody, you give them 10 leads. You're, you want to see them do a minimum of 100 outbound dials mm-hmm. on those leads mm-hmm. alone, not follow-ups mm-hmm. or anything like that. And so then you start to take a look at that, and that's about 150 dials a day. Okay. 125, somewhere in that that ballpark to basically complete an entire sales day mm-hmm. for them. And I think that's getting, that's a good mix of calling the new stuff, mm-hmm. calling the old stuff, mm-hmm. and closing what you got, yeah. right? Um, but if you have a dialer, that, that number can get up to 15. So I could, I could say if you had a dialer and you're in a platform like Ricochet, you should be probably at 45, Okay. Calls. So, so that's the that's the variance. So, with those three people, you could either be down to low end twenty one, mm-hmm. all the way up to forty five. And mm-hmm. so, and I, we've had that conversation. And I keep on telling you, you need to raise your minimums, just because. Yeah, yeah. I, I what I think we've seen the most is probably there's you have high volume publishers, right? Mm-hmm. That have like they they perform, mm-hmm. but. I think a lot of people that that take ten to fifteen a day, they get filled with that. Mm-hmm. Most of that stuff, and that's kind of a, um, I, I, they have lower quote percentage and a close percentage, and so we're filling up on that, mm-hmm. and then they're they're not getting to these some of the other uh, sources uh, throughout the day, and I think that's exactly it's like you know. And we, you know, I think we're different because we let our clients really control their their blend if they yeah. want to. And I think we've started doing some good work with some of our mutual clients on that and eliminating sources and subsources that are really poor performing. Um, you know, I'm all about getting, you know, I, I call them the scumbag publishers. They know who they yeah. are generally, right? I'm all about getting the scumbag publishers yeah. like out of this um, because 
right? For two reasons, right? There's no reason for insurance agents to waste their money on people who don't want to talk to them, right? Yeah. And, right, it's a horrible consumer experience. Why are we harassing people that don't want yeah. to be sold a product? And there are, like, you know, I've done I've done short-form videos on this where it's like candy crush leads. Like, yeah. literally, I talked to somebody one day. I'm listening to, you know, and this was in an Allstate office I was consulting for at the time. Literally listening to this phone call, just going so horrible. And yeah. I'm like... You know, I just took the phone. I'm like, we're not going to sell this first. Let me just talk to them and like see what. Yeah, what they're doing. What are they doing? <laughs> like, why are we on the phone with you? You don't want to buy anything. Yeah. Like, that's evident. How did you get to us? And they were literally like, I ran out of Candy Crush lives, and I filled out this form to get a couple of Candy Crush lives. <laughs> like, and that's crazy to me. Um, <laughs> but it made sense. I'm like, well, no wonder yeah. you're so disengaged. Y- yeah. You have no this reason to talk to us. You're just, you're, you're yeah. now are re-upped on Candy Crush lives, <laughs> and you're probably got us on speakerphone, and you're sitting there playing, playing Candy Crush. <laughs> like, it's insane. But like those, there are publishers like that out there, and obviously the performance is going to be horrible. Yeah. And so we can cut that out to to get rid of it. And conversely, like, right, I was so naive, like when I started getting into lead gen, I thought every lead started with like, you know, someone on Google searching for yeah, insurance, right? right? And I'm like, how else would they get there? Like, I don't know. Um, but right, we have email marketed leads, we have TikTok leads, Instagram leads, you know, Facebook leads. And the consumer intent is, in my mind, the biggest factor of will there be good lead quality? Yeah. You know, will this convert? You know, how intentful of a consumer is this? But also, if someone sees an Instagram ad, and I always tell people, I'm like, you know, sometimes I'll see an Instagram ad for some like really high end sneakers, and I'll be like, huh, this is interesting. Yeah. I might click it. Doesn't mean I'm going to buy it today. So I think a lot of agents aren't actually using the leads to their full potential, not targeting them on social media, not like staying in front of them in an organic way. And I think there's ways to do that. Do any of your clients do that today? Or what's like their requote process, their follow-up process? That's, That's the process. That's the step that I think we all miss. We were just so worried on, on getting that new. We have all these all this data in the back end, mm-hmm. right? And, and how do you attack that? And, and what do you do? A lot of the agents are tied by what their captive, mm-hmm. you know, agencies will allow or mm-hmm. the mothership will allow them mm-hmm. to do. I think being strategic about it, and I have a couple offices that go about it this way where we take a look at the current zip codes that we're closing the best in, right? Mm-hmm. And then you take those zip codes and then you go into your your database of old leads and you pull up those zip codes and you start there, mm-hmm. right? Just start where we're competitive now. That mm-hmm. gives us the best shot. Uh, and do a couple calls and do a couple emails yeah. and see how it goes, mm-hmm. right? But you got to have that process in place, which requires manpower, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And to our point, so if we can get the front end quality better, mm-hmm. then we'll have time to get back in there. But I completely get that it is hard to get to that old stuff just because it takes just more manpower to do. Mm-hmm. So shifting gears here, um, we were both at the Allstate Mega Conference mm-hmm. a little while ago, and um, you were on stage um, with Jamie Pickles from First Interpreter. And, you know, I passed the First Interpreter data to our mutual clients, and you mm-hmm. put it on a beautiful dashboard for us to see. And we've seen Allstate agents 
close. So for those of you who don't know, right, the first interpreter score scores the carrier's competitive position. And the competitive position is a one through four score where four is the most competitive. Now, Jay, we've seen that with State Farm. All state agents are closing State Farm fours in certain states, not in every state, yeah. but in certain states, like I think in Florida, for instance, I don't think we even buy State Farm ones for our clients there anymore. Yeah. Um, we eliminate those on the front end. So I think it's a huge advantage of like doing business with us is we can do like cool things like that that our competitors just don't do yeah. or can't do or won't yeah, won't or can't. I'm not sure which, but what do you think of that data point today as it exists? I mean, it seems to me like it's a beautiful upward curve and it's yeah. really nice. Um, you know, would you advise clients in certain states to 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 not buy those state form ones if they're not performing or buy them lower? I, I, th- I think we're getting to enough data to start to make decisions at the beginning of the year, I think, mm-hmm. on that. It's a, it's a weird to see that those charts fill in. That's been interesting over the last six months because... I feel like we saw different things in the beginning, and then as mm-hmm. we've gotten more and more data, it's become clear that all state agents are competitive where all states or where State Farm's competitive. Mm-hmm. Which is, hey, that's a great sign, right? Yeah. I mean, like if State Farm's competitive mm-hmm. in an area, and and it's showing that we're competitive and we're winning those deals, that's that's great for all state agents. Mm-hmm. I, I think moving forward, we will be. I, I and I've always said this is like I'm looking. It's great that we have that data on the auto, but mm-hmm. I want it on the homes because yeah. I, I think for and and that just gets into the nuts and bolts about how first interpreter works, right? Mm-hmm. And and just what the data's coming through to to you to be able to score it through first interpreter. So when someone's on the web, they're just filling out usually their information, and they're probably not going to fill out the second car and the second driver. And mm-hmm. so we've talked about that where we, we're probably not getting the best accurate picture of that that client when we're running it through first interpreter mm-hmm. but i think on a home lead i think and and you provide those services where you're talking about verified square footage and mm-hmm. you know dwelling coverage and, and uh, stories and i think a construction year and mm-hmm. stuff like that we should be able to verify that data then run it through first mm-hmm. interpreter and then give you a great score um, I just think that's there's less unknowns in that yeah. in that, and so I'm excited about that moving forward. But um, yeah, I think moving forward we'll be making those decisions, uh, and that could be a, a. What's nice about your service is that's why the agent can make that decision. Mm-hmm. So if if we can take a look at it in your state. Say, hey, this is what we're seeing. Do you want to go after it this way? If you think, yeah, well, let's try it out. We can try it out on an A sample mm-hmm. and a B sample. Yep. So, and just see which one performs well. And this is something we haven't even talked about yet, but one data point that we're going to start passing you is like total number of automobiles filled out. Like we can see it today on the form. Like, is there a vehicle one? Is there a vehicle two? But mm-hmm. we have a, now a new data point that is number of vehicles. Ooh. And I think that there's going to be a correlation, right? The more vehicles that someone fills out, um, maybe more the more intent. more intent, right? Yeah. More intentful consumer. And, you know, also, right, as you know, yeah, would I rather pay $10 for a four-car yeah. household or for a one-car household? Of course, I want the four-car household, right? There's a better return on my marketing dollar there. Um, so I think that's an interesting data point that, that we'll, you know, start to measure soon. Um, but what other, you know, what other data points, you know, are, are the biggest ones you look at with, you know, your clients today? Obviously, we look at zip code. That's like mm-hmm. numero uno. Um, when a lead comes in, 
where is it coming in from and where are we closing it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, insurance companies, like, look, they, they, they rate their policies on zip codes. So mm-hmm. it's the easiest thing to look at. And it's just not knowing about what zip codes you're selling in. Uh, and that's where I think I get hung up with a lot of agents. Yeah. Um, because we don't know how many leads that we bought in that zip code either. Yeah. If you're just looking at your sales and, and where you're selling, there's a lot that goes on there. You're obviously going to sell more around your agency, sure. right? But that might not be the most competitive. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just the most intent customers coming yeah. to you in that zip code because yeah. you live in that zip code. And and so that's where I, I, I differ. I, I go around about it a couple of different ways with my agents, but uh, zip code, we got to track how many leads that we're buying, the conversion rate per zip code and how mm-hmm. much we're spending in, in, in each zip code. We also look at uh, the density in the po- and what we're looking at more a lot in the Southeast. When we get out of the rural or urban areas in the Southeast, um, their home uh, selection rate or approval rate really goes down mm-hmm. out of the rural areas. And I've had this conversation with multiple different agents over the last two weeks. And so we're really getting into those zip code, that zip code demographics mm-hmm. and looking at density, median age, population, just so that we can make smarter purchasing decisions in urban areas rather than the rural areas. Mm-hmm. And that's Look, it's just kind of like, let's just go where we can write more. Mm-hmm. And so then when we're looking at the RMPs, if it doesn't fit, just don't buy there. Don't buy and we can do that. Um, and, but that goes along with technology and getting the right pieces in place. And, and, and I'm always constantly doing that. My, my database didn't have that, right? Mm-hmm. And so I went out and got mm-hmm. zip codes with demographics and, and let's, let's start looking at it and yeah. like, like really incorporating that. But you pass a lot of information along. And, and that's the thing that I wish we had more in the industry because it's, you said like whether they are doing it or not, I guarantee you they're doing it and they have the information. They definitely do. They just don't want to pass it along. Mm-hmm. And and that's unfortunate. And that's that's the reason why I like using your services. Um, and that's why I, I tell my agents like, look, there's, there's and I, I've got pillars now. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to have a ledger balance, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, of the leads that you sell uh, and how much we paid for the lead. Yeah. If, if a, and some vendors don't have that. Yeah, 100% they don't have that. <laughs> Just crazy. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. I don't know how we spend money with these guys when, when they're not providing us what they sold us, mm-hmm. right? And so that's numero uno one. And we got to have a website. Mm-hmm. I like that. I don't want Google Sheets mm-hmm. or, or spreadsheets being passed around. Yeah. Like, we got to have a website. If, you, if, if the lead provider isn't investing in technology, yeah. then, then, then what are we doing? They're, then we should cut them out of the process. Mm-hmm. We should go directly to the source that, mm-hmm. that they're they're going to. And so, and then um, we just really have to have a consistent open communication, right? Yeah. And, and so those are the three things. Like if you can't provide support, a website and a ledger balance about what we bought. They're not should, really a lead vendor. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> You're just a cog in the, in, yeah. in the wheel there. And we want to deal directly with, with people that add value. And mm-hmm. I think that's where we'll, we'll see the industry change a lot, I think, too. As we move away and probably a lot of the fat goes away after mm-hmm. the billions of dollars that have been pumped through comes, you know, come back maybe a half of what it was, maybe, maybe a quarter. I don't know, but it's going to be a leaner and better industry. 
It will. And I think, you know, my position's always been with the FCC changes that it's not really going to solve like the robocall crisis or the unwanted call crisis in this country, but it's going to lead to a better insurance agent experience. It's going to lead to a better consumer experience for certain, maybe not as much as the government is hoping it is, but that's okay. I mean, it's a little bit, it's a little bit different, but it's a mindset shift, right? I think a lot of the clients we work with understand value versus price. Um, And I think that's like hugely important. An analogy that I always, and I'm I'm really going to like, I'm saying this because I'm trying to drive some of my competitors to be more transparent. Like I, yeah, it's one of the biggest benefits I have in this business right now is like, I'm crazy enough to be like openly transparent when no one else is. I don't want it to stay that way. I want everyone to get more transparent in this because, as I've told you a million times, I don't want to work with every insurance agent. I want to work with, like, the very best insurance agents and provide them value. I don't want to be the, you know, the next, you know, whatever giant company is today. If everyone were to be more transparent and we could get insurance agents to focus on value versus cost, I think that it really solves a lot of the marketing dilemmas that we have today and probably makes the system better, right? Oh, 100%. But we got to know where the value is. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, there's only a limited amount of volume yeah. in every state. Yeah. I, I have this conversation with agents. This is like, look, we just can't make up volume, yeah. right? And like the industry's really good at that right now. Yeah. And they're making, they're making up volume. So um, we just got to, we got to be aware of that. And if you're in a state that's small, don't expect 2,000 leads a day. It's like virtually impossible. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so that's the, you got to have be realistic. And mm-hmm. I'll divert here too. Mm-hmm. And that that's the expectations that you've got to have going into the lead game. And it's just, we got to be realistic with the expectations. We just said that we've been chewing away at one and a half to 2% close rates. That means there's 98 junk leads in there. Yeah. And as one of my favorite agents says, all leads suck. Yeah. You know, and it's 70% sales, 30% leads, right? So it's just a matter of, of, of what we are because that's the way the industry is right now. And I think we'll get back to it to where we were years ago where, yeah, there, there are 10% close rate data leads out there. Yeah. There is, right? Yeah. But right now, yes, people are going to fill out the form multiple different times. Mm-hmm. Then the aggregate aggregators, or excuse me, the publishers are going to sell at multiple different times. So yes, you are going to buy duplicate leads. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are going to have people that are so fed up with phone calls, hang up. Mm-hmm. They're going to they're going to say that, and they're going to say, "Hey, I never requested a quote." They yeah. say it with your leads. Yeah. It, it's not a silver bullet. It's just you're doing some things and looking at different data points like time on form, yep. um, how many times it's been viewed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which I've been doing a little bit of work on, like mm-hmm. the number of times that that email is it email address email that address, pops up. Yeah, pops up. Yep. And so, you know, it, but it's crazy. Those those numbers aren't really that correlated with the close percentages. Mm-hmm. And so when you're looking at it, and you're like, yeah, those are all intense stuff. And it's just like poor and excellent credit. I mean, we mm-hmm. sell a lot of poor credit yeah. stuff. Yeah. Right. But it's just looking at those those data points and, and just making sure that we know what we're buying and then they then the market from there. So mm-hmm. Expanding down, be like, okay, this is what we're good at. 
we're going to look at these metrics, but then we got to be realistic about the volume that we're yeah. going to be able to get from this. So what's your philosophy on how, how soon should we start to make changes in a campaign? How, how soon should we shut off a publisher or subsource? And, and I know, like, I don't have the perfect answer in my yeah. head at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it depends on your quote to close percentage. Okay. I don't think I've turned off based on the number of leads that we've received in from a publisher on an agent. Um, but once we get to 10 quotes, mm-hmm. And if we know that our disposition rates are good on our leads, Mm -hmm. and we know those were 10 actual quotes that occurred, I think that's enough. If Mm -hmm. if, if you're closing at a 20% quote to close rate, well, we've seen, you know, we close one more, we're down at 10. That's not what we want. Yeah. I think once we get to that point, um, and obviously, though, if we've taken 100 leads and we haven't quoted Jack from it, then we should cut that one out, too. Um, but I really look at quotes and, and and really when we get up to 10, we should really start thinking about removing that source just so that it's not filling up the cap. Exactly. And then you can spend that money on somewhere else mm-hmm. and, and go through there. Because I every single campaign name that I'm showing for you is a publisher. Mm-hmm. And I look, I tell my people, it's just like, look, look at them as individual lead providers. Mm-hmm. And so you have 50 different lead providers all sitting um, available for us to buy. And we just look at it that way. And yeah. so we're just going to either upbid or downbid the ones that we, we want and we don't want. We do that consistently across, yep. you know, clients today. And when I look at the data, I look at, you know, really the cost per sale of that particular campaign to see. Is this one performing well? Is yep. it could have performed better? Should we pay less for this? Um, but one thing, a data point that I always look at is time, you know, time of day the lead comes in, yeah. day of the week lead comes in. And I always tell my clients, I'm like, listen, I force you to buy 24-7, 365 because my competitors do it to you anyways. Yeah. They just lie to you, um, right? And so you showed me something once when we were on a, uh, a call with a mutual client, right? And it was like, all right just look at like Monday and Tuesday at like nine and 10 o'clock in the morning, right? Like the percentage of volume that came in from all the vendors that you're monitoring was like extraordinarily high. And so when we look at, you know, date and time of lead, you know, I think like midnight is, is within our top 10. um, It is within our top 10, you know? Yeah. So, no one's calling them at midnight. No, no no one's calling them. You're buying them anyway. Right. And, and, I always do it. Anybody that does a demo, that's that's on my mm-hmm. my demo. Because I, I I flip it and I say, hey, and, and we 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 sort it by the number of leads that we bought. Mm-hmm. And eight, nine, ten, and eleven, we buy seventy percent of our leads. Yeah, and it's not because people just quit shopping for insurance. Well, we hit our caps. Yeah, and we're not buying leads anymore. And the insurance companies have all this stuff coming in, and we're just not buying it. But then I take that same table and we sort it by close percentage, mm-hmm. and our the top close percentages are three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you can go down. I think the top first top ten close percentages in the in the day on an hourly basis is not eight, nine, ten, and eleven. Okay, but now. And I, and I preface all this, there's volume at 8, 9, 10, and 11, yeah. and it's, there's a lot of sales there. So you can't not not buy them. Sure. But you definitely don't want to fill your cap up mm-hmm. during the most competitive times on the diluted product. Yeah. Capture some of that product. And that's, we've added in the, the lead price um, to the, your date and time reports mm-hmm. so that the agents can actually take a look and be like, okay, 
I'm buying the leads, but you know what? I'm not buying them at top dollar. Exactly. Right? You're buying them at a cheaper dollar amount, mm-hmm. which helps offset that cost per sale. Yep. And 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 I'll say this, either yeah. you're buying them at lead clinic or not, like most reputable lead companies are going to sell the lead once mm-hmm. up to three times, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, if you're that person that's buying that lead at seven o'clock at night and there's nobody else buying it, you're supposed to be the only person that have bought that lead. Now, yeah. I don't know if that lead goes back out in the morning as well, if they didn't probably. sell enough times, but probably. they probably, but they say that they don't. Yeah. So if you want to, you know, turn on some after-hour campaigns and lower the price. That's that's my philosophy. It makes that. complete sense, yeah. right? Because we're focused on the return on marketing dollars yeah. spent, not on you know I, anything else. I also look at it too. Like we're looking for quality customers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I hate to say it, but like I kind of want a person that has a job. Yeah. You know, yeah. and can't talk insurance yeah. for an hour because yeah. I want to stay on the phone with the person for as long as possible. Yeah. So most of the people that we want and that is probably in our target demographic, well, probably both husband and wife work, yeah. you know, and they can't talk insurance. Yeah. And I've, and I've gone on that and we've talked about the customer experience a lot. Well, you know, the customer wants to quote when they want the quote, mm-hmm. not when we want Mm-hmm. To give them the quote, yeah. right, and so that's why, if you're in competition with a direct carrier, and most all companies are direct carriers now, yeah. and so you know either captive agents, your number one competitor is probably the carrier you're working for, yeah, because you're you're going head to head with them. That's the reason why they have call centers and people on staff pretty much all day, right? Every day, yeah. every day, someone's there to sell you a policy mm-hmm. because. The customer wants the policy or when they want the policy, yeah. not when we want to give it to them, right? And so we've, I talk to a lot of agents, and I think we have a mutual agent that's like bought into that, and they're open all the time now, and they're absolutely crushing it. And they're, the, the cost per sale is less on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, their, their employees are actually loving it because they're more effective for a couple hours on the weekend, and then they take of off a couple hours during the week. Yeah. And so it's job flexibility. I, I now, think, weekday time off is probably more valuable to the employee than the weekend time yeah. off, right? You need to go to the doctor. You need to go to the dentist. You need to go to, I don't know, something for your kid's school yeah. or something, right? That weekday time is going to be more valuable to mm-hmm. that employee. So are a lot of your clients working weekends after hours or not Only enough? a handful. Not yeah. enough. Yeah. Not enough, right? And, and I go back to it is like if we're not meeting the customer how they want to be met, Right, whether that is presenting the quote mm-hmm. in the way that they want to be presented to, mm-hmm. um, and then we're missing the mark. And when they want to talk about the quote, and so we've got to be available. Mm-hmm. I think that's retail agencies. Like, look, you know, part of the reason that a lot of us had become um, PNC agents was the flexibility. Right, mm-hmm. and you're a small business owner; you can kind of come and go. You, you got to work these kind of core hours, and you don't. If you don't want to, you don't have to do anything else. Well, customers want you, yeah, right, and they want you later at night, and they want you on the weekends. Well, and it kind of works well too. I mean, if you have, you know, with a remote work environment today, you know, if you're at least in Eastern time zone, right, and you yeah. hire some folks in Mountain or Pacific time zone, you you can pick up later hours. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, and and that's where. I th- 
I just think that's where the industry is, right? And you were, you know, you talk about, you know, social media ads and everything like that. I always make the comparison for my agents is like, it's like you've been in a mall lately and you're walking down the middle of the mall and you're just attacked by kiosk people about cleaning white shoes and stuff like that. Right. You know, that's social media ads, right? You're just like, get get out of my way. Right. And you're just wanting to get to the store that you want to get to. Um, So when people type in, you know, home insurance quote or auto insurance quote, and they, they see all this other stuff fall around them for a week, that's, that's your kiosk right there. You know, it's interesting too, because I don't see enough of this and, you know, I'm pretty dialed into advertising, but, you know, the most persuasive ads in my mind today are the ads I don't even realize are ads until I'm halfway through them, right? And so, I think when people talk about influencer advertising, they generally think of like, attractive young females as influencers. But I would suggest there's this whole other world of influencers too, right? You look at like the points guy, right? Who's probably the the very first like influencer in in credit card marketing. I mean, this guy made a fortune and then then (laughs) sold the company to, I forget who it was, but a a giant company. But, you know, there are influencers, I was telling someone, they're like mommy influencers, right? Who tell you about everything, you know, about you know, kids and babies and, uh, you know, stuff like that. There are, you know, uh, there are all these different influencers that people are watching. And some of them are very loyal to, you know, have a tremendously loyal following. I've really seen insurance, and a lot of this is because it's carrier driven, right? A lot of the lead gen ecosystems driven by progressive, as we both know. Most people don't realize this. But I don't see a lot of influencer marketing. I think that some of it would be could yeah. be pretty good. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I don't play in that space a lot, yeah. and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much off social media. Yeah. I try to do a little yeah. LinkedIn and stuff like that, but um, it's all f- kind of, that market just is just amazing to me. Um, but that's a great space for agents to connect with their customers. And like, I always take I've worked since the beginning, I've worked with an agency down in San Diego, and, and they have a, they have a, I call him a kid, but he's mm-hmm. probably 26 or 27, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I think he has like 10 or 15,000 followers. Really? Right? Okay, on Instagram. Great. And then he just started posting like his five-star reviews, mm-hmm. you know? And all of a sudden he starts writing like $30,000 wow. a month. And I'm like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm just taking like my five-star reviews and then I'm talking about it. And then I'm talking about this or I'm talking about that. Crazy powerful mm-hmm. and something that our agents just don't take advantage of, right? And and I was thinking about this on the way up. I didn't know. I don't know much about social media advertising mm-hmm. and, and 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 what it would be, promoting your links yeah. and, and your post and stuff like that. And so. Uh, a year ago, I was getting a website built out. And so I, I went to a company and uh, they built out the website. And then they said, hey, you know, we'll do, you know, social media for you, Facebook and, and LinkedIn. I'm like, okay, sweet, because I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you know. Yeah. And so they, they posted like some stock photos and just like a little line and stuff like that. But like, I just couldn't believe, you know, digital marketers, they took 50%. Of yeah. everything that I wanted to spend on advertising, yeah. I was like, "Holy smokes!" Yeah, and so I can I can see why it would be. It's a scary proposition because it's just like buying leads, yeah. right? And you're just 
promoting post, yep. right? It's like, it's nuts. Well, I think a lot of too, like what you're saying about the the person posting the five-star reviews, like you can do a lot of that organically it's, without spending any money. Yeah. You just have to make engaging content. And I think that's, that's, yeah. that's the trick, right? Yeah. Is you've got to get the content to be engaging and insurance is not sexy. Insurance no, no. is not yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, it's hard to do. But everybody needs it. Everyone needs it. So, you know, I don't know. I would encourage more folks in agencies to be doing stuff like that because- you know, you're going to start with a very small following. I mean, look, I had a podcast about insurance before I had this podcast. Yeah. I'm not sure anyone ever watched one episode. <laughs> Who knows? But it was something fun to do, right? Yeah. Now, as we as we launch this podcast, it's for a very small target audience, um, but we're getting a loyal following of that audience because it's information, right? Yeah. Free content and free information is great. So, you know, putting out information about insurance, like demystifying insurance, I think that You've got some young folks in your agency who are sitting there browsing TikTok and Instagram all day anyways. Might as well create a TikTok or Instagram, yeah. you know, that that could, you know, could potentially bring in some some interesting things. So I'm basically giving everyone advice on how not to buy leads and how to generate their own organically. Right. But it's a good thing. We touched on multiple points. So you yeah. call through your old data leads yeah, and, exactly, and then right? do social media. Yeah. <laughs> well, and as we talked about, you know, call through your old data leads too. I think this is, I'm going to touch on this again, but I um, did a podcast yesterday, which will probably be released before this one when we do with Eric Troutman from Troutman yeah, and he's, he's probably, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, we have to make sure they're not on the do not yeah. call list. We have to make sure all these things. And, and one thing that we touched on in that podcast yesterday that I think is like the most impactful thing is like someone tells you, yeah, go ahead and call me again next year, right? If they're on the do not call list, that's an illegal call, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a big deal if you're an Allstate agent, a State Farm agent, or a farmer's agent where, you know, the companies that you're working for really have vicarious liability and can be on the hook. And now, yeah. you know, plaintiff's attorney's eyes go crazy, right? And they're seeing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in potential settlement dollars. Yeah. You've got to be careful about that. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got to be careful, but it doesn't mean you can't direct mail them. It doesn't mean you can't email them. There's a lot of things you do. It doesn't mean you can't target them on social media to yeah. see the engaging, you know, TikTok or, or LinkedIn or um, Instagram reel. Yeah. And I think LinkedIn, honestly, is an underutilized social media platform because yes. the customers, the target customers that all state agents, state farm agents, farmers agents are looking for are on LinkedIn. Heck yeah, they are. Right? Yeah. An executive or a manager at some, you know, whatever enterprise that's, you know, they're they're the affluent side of middle America and that's kind of the target, right? Three cars, nice yeah. house, good credit, and hopefully a good driving record. It's like the perfect insurance client. Those mm -hmm. folks are on LinkedIn. So I don't think, you know, agencies are yeah. using that enough. But you know, to get back into one one final point, I think that we both talk about client retention. I'm talking about our clients mm -hmm. retaining our services. And, and I think we have a phenomenal retention rate among our clients, yep. and I know you do as well. But um, there are some clients that won't see value in measuring this data over, over time. And I think they're short-sighted. What's your position about this? I'm lucky enough to be in some of the top agents' offices across the country. I think they see my value, right? I look at it this way, too. Um, some people see that I have an expensive service, mm -hmm. right? But we're spending, you know, $250,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And if you're not running the numbers and mm -hmm. nobody else is running the numbers, I guarantee you I can make that seven fifty feel a lot less mm -hmm or that, you know, 1500 feel a lot less on a monthly basis mm -hmm. and actually 
generate income when you know you're looking and making decisions on sound information, mm -hmm. right? Um, and that doesn't happen overnight, like I said. And um, I don't do any of the work. I just point out stuff, mm -hmm. right? And that's that's all I do. Uh, when the data is organized correctly and you're seeing it correctly, uh, that is powerful and it's way more than... You saved your clients a lot of money, hundred percent. Yeah, and so um, and then they tell me I should charge more. So mm -hmm. that's <laughs> so that's fine, and, and and that's what's happened. And so with that, where do I see it going from there? Right, is I've re envisioned Lead Swami like three times, mm -hmm. um, and I'm in that next one right now. Where uh, yeah, we might be even more expensive than where we are, but the services and and the data and how you'll be able to transform your data and look at it and really dig into it. It's going to be phenomenal uh, coming up just because that is where the technology is. And, and just being a small business owner doesn't mean that we can't have access to the same tools that everybody else exactly. is using. It's just, it's just really expensive, mm -hmm. right? It's just really expensive. Everything that you've done at Lead Clinic is really expensive. <laughs> and that's what people don't get. Yeah. And if you're not willing to invest in those types of things to stay ahead, I think you're just falling behind and it becomes harder and harder to function. Exactly right. And I think that's probably the most important lesson, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to stay ahead of the curve. You've got to really, you have to understand where you've been to yep. understand where you're going, right? And you have to follow the trends. And, you know, I, I tell a lot of my clients this, right? Very early in my lead gen journey, I talked to the head um, lead buyer for Liberty Mutual Insurance. And he told me, Peter, the best advice I got in this industry was from my predecessor who told me, have a short memory. Yeah. Because what worked yesterday isn't going to work today. What works tomorrow is probably not working today. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be quick to adapt. And if you're not measuring the data, how can you actually yeah, adapt, right? right? You know, it, uh, <laughs> we, and we have this conversation quite a bit and we're like, wow, man, we really messed up two weeks ago, mm -hmm. right? We made that change, yeah. you know? And, yeah. and But then I always say like, well, where would we have been if we weren't tracking this, mm -hmm. though, right? We would have made the change and that would have been three months yep. before we were like, oh, that was pain. Like, yeah. then we missed three months, right? Yep. And we're, we're making changes after two or three weeks yep. and correcting ourselves. And so that's where it is, right? And it does change that fast. I, well, look, one of the best insurance carriers, you know, in terms of being profitable year over year is Progressive, right? And I think Progressive's whole position of why they can do it better than everyone else in the industry is they're quick to pivot. Yeah. And I think that's any business, right? Yeah. The quicker you are to pivot, the more profitable you're going to be generally yeah. because you're going to shut off what isn't working. And then like, look, if some, we, we have, like you said, we have this conversation all the time. Yeah. Like, okay, well now we got two or three more sales in here. The numbers look really good. Yeah. Like, why did we shut that off three weeks ago? But at the time with the data we had, right? And that's how I look back at any decision, bad or good that I've made was at that point in time with the information that I had, would I make that same decision again? Of course. Yeah. So, you know, now we have new information. Yeah. Now we have a new data decision. matures, yeah. right? It leads mature, right? Yeah. And then like a couple of them came in close, but that could be just that one specific publisher. Could just, be. Yeah, just maybe, maybe not as an intent or like I didn't need insurance right now. So mm -hmm. yeah, you just have to track it. Yeah. So anything else you want to tell? What's your biggest takeaway? What's your number one thing that you're going to tell clients all the time or the the one thing oh, that man. you see that's 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 the worst uh, thing you see frequently? Look, give us a, a good tidbit. <laughs> I'll give you some quick ones really quick. Answer the phone, <laughs> right? Like, and you know that, yeah. and and my agents will know that. Like, if I see deterioration in closed percentages. 
I look at unanswered calls, right? Mm-hmm. And especially if you're taking warm transfers or, or in that fact, Adelaide's, are we doing the dials, right? Mm-hmm. It, it all rests with the phone. If you can control the phones in your mm-hmm. office, you've got half of this down. And so if, if you're getting a bunch of warm transfers in, what's your answer, you know, what's your answer rate? Is it 95, 96, mm-hmm. or is it like 75? Mm-hmm. Because like that, that's most offices that Difference. I work with. Yeah. Right. Um, so that would be my big takeaway. And then, uh, and then in 2024 is just like, just know your data, right. And, and, and be, be on top of it and, and work on the processes that are driving results in your office. Makes sense. Yeah. Someone who's watching wants to retain you and utilize your service. What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? You can just go to my website. Um, I've got a contact form there. I usually send out a survey after that, just basically a little bit about bio about your agency, and then we'll be in contact with you. And that's leadswami.com, right? Leadswami.com, yeah. All right. Awesome. Jay, thanks for joining us, and thanks for watching today. Uh, We appreciate you and the work you're doing to help our insurance agents be more successful and monitor their data. Thank you. Thank you.